This is Dump and Chase with Zach Staden. Hello and welcome to a interview version of Dump and Chase, the podcast. This is actually our first interview that I've done here on this podcast. Usually it's going to be news-based, but sometimes we have special guests joining us. Today we have Dr. Andrew Ross, who taught at Western and Guelph in business and sport history, wrote the book Joining the Clubs, the business of the National Hockey League to 1945. Andrew, how are we today? I'm doing great, Zach. Thanks for having me. No problem. Uh, so Andrew was actually a guest in one of my lectures, and I took an interest to what he was talking about. And obviously, I have him on the podcast now, and I'm very thankful that he's on here giving me and all of us the listening his time. Uh, so first things first, Andrew, could you tell us just a little bit about yourself? Doesn't have to be too long. Sure, Zach. Happy to do so. Uh, yeah, so I became interested in the hockey business in particular because um, uh, I was driving along the highway one time. I saw a big trade Patrick Roy post uh, billboard and this is back in the early 90s some of your older listeners if you got them might rec recognize this and it was a it was kind of a, a an advertising gag where someone basically wanted uh, Patrick Roy's um, hockey card and uh, so it created a bit of a controversy in Montreal at the time because Patrick Roy was still playing for the the, the, the Habs and people were like oh who would want to trade Patrick so uh but that got me really interested in just like people being really culturally and emotionally invested in in hockey which is not unusual we're canadians we understand why people get excited by hockey but what i became really interested in is that business aspect is like what is it about the hockey business that's uh, that's really interesting for people to uh to you know why why are people engaged at that level so um it took me a few years i worked i worked in the um i worked in as a stockbroker at various other jobs played in a rock band for a bit and then i went back and did my phd and i grabbed on as the hit the nhl as the as my topic because i was really interested in the nhl it turns out you know it's a really cool interesting topic to to uh, to work with because it doesn't operate like other businesses so um i spent uh, my phd dissertation during the history of the the nhl from uh basically 1917 its formation until up to 67. And as you mentioned earlier, thanks for the plug, I, I got a book out called Joining the Clubs, which is basically the first half of the dissertation. So that's really bringing the lead together and seeing them uh, through the, to the end of the Second World War. But a lot of my research does extend after the post-war. I'm sure we're interested in talking about some of the dynamics of the league afterwards. So after that, I, I was I taught, as you mentioned, at, uh, at Western for a little, little bit um, and Guelph and did some work there, put the book out. And then uh, since then, I moved to Ottawa and uh, now working in government, but I still keep my interest in hockey and I love to this opportunity to talk to you guys about it. Of course. And I appreciate you coming on here. Like anybody uh, who knows me when they give me their time, I always like to give back and I'm always very appreciative uh, when they do it. Uh, but let's get right into the hockey talk. Um, so first things first, one thing that we did actually discuss in class was the Arizona Coyotes and staying in the league. Why Gary Bettman is so adamant about his strategy doing it. So uh, one question that I asked was, why he's still holding on to this idea and i know that's a big question for a lot of listeners and a lot of people who follow hockey why is gary bettman holding on to this quote-unquote fantasy of the arizona coyotes <laughs> hopefully being that team that he's always dreamed of being because you know they obviously want to expand into the more like southern parts of the u.s but obviously this hasn't been the greatest project per se uh, yeah, and of course I can't. We can't know exactly what Gary Bettman's thinking, but but the way he's approaching Arizona is consistent with how the league has has always behaved, uh, even before the NHL was created in 1917. Originally, as uh, before they had artificial ice, you know, you essentially depended on natural ice. So hockey, high level hockey, only took place in places like Montreal and Ottawa, Quebec, Winnipeg, 
where we had like a good solid two months of winter so we could keep that ice cold and it required artificial ice technology to move hockey at the pro level further and so the first place it actually went for the for the NHL was basically Toronto so Toronto was was what I like to say was the first part of the southern strategy of the NHL it was going to Toronto going to Winnipeg and then into the States, into Boston, New York. And those are places where they needed basically ice plants in the arenas to keep them going. So if we look that far back, uh, you know, going south has always been has always been part of the league's uh, mandate. A lot of it was what I call defensive. It was because they were worried, especially in the 1920s and 30s, they were about other leagues popping up and stealing their thunder, right? And the NHL started defining itself as the major league and sort of had to defend that territory. Um, so what happens in the late in the mid 30s, of course, the depression comes in, there's less growth, the war intervenes. And then after the war, they come down to what we like to call now the original six, right, which is two, two Canadian teams that we know well, four American teams. And that was basically really stable, but also static. And in the 1960s, you again, get these rumblings of maybe new leagues being created, right? There's a lot of growth in the American South and the American West. Think about California. And the NHL, again, starts seeing the writing on the wall say, saying, if we don't go out there, someone else will. So that is what's behind the, the, the um, expansion in 1967, the famous doubling of the league, the great expansion. And again, if you think about that, that's a southern expansion and a western expansion. It's going to places like California, um, going to St. Louis, uh, you know, places like that, and then filling out Philadelphia and a few other places. Uh, and that's part two of that is that filling out into different media markets. The NHL starts thinking about, are, are we really a national league or in this case, an international league? And if we're going to be that, if we're going to, for example, ask for national TV contracts, we have to have a national league, right? We can't. We're going to go to CBS, which they do after 1967, say, give us, you know, national, uh, a U.S. national TV contract. They really need to say, you know, be able to fill space and have viewers in Los Angeles, you know, the Bay Area and places like that. So that's all that is basically the second part of this, the Southern strategy. And that's what I think what Gary Bettman is still following is filling out those little bits uh, of the media market so he can make a claim to have a national league or an international league and filling out. So where's Phoenix fit into this? Phoenix, you know, Canadians often say hockey in the desert makes no sense, right? Hockey in, in Texas, right? Like it, it, it seems kind of crazy. But again, think back to the technology. Hockey in Texas is the same as hockey in Toronto now, right? Like the arenas are the same. The, the technology is the same to, to keep that ice. So Phoenix made sense from that point of view. It's a big media market. There was no other, you know, that's, that's a, a gap in the NHL's um, map, so to speak. And so that decision got taken. Now, as, so it sort of made sense that the decision was taken. And then the question is, why persist, right? And this is actually another complicated issue for the leagues is that maybe Gary doesn't want to admit mistakes, but really more likely is it's a valuable investment. And with the right owner, he would say, and the right market development, they can make it work, right? Hockey is a product that's not doesn't depend on Canadians watching it. It depends on it's an entertainment product. And they believe they can market it and make it work if they get the arena, if they get the owner, if they put together all those the different components. And it's a big risk for a league to let teams move. They don't want to admit at that level that the teams basically are failing in a market and have to move around because that causes problems where other owners might think, hmm, I'm not doing so well in my market. Maybe 
there's this other media market I'd like to move to. And the history of not just the NHL, but other leagues like the NFL is some owners decide they're going to move and that causes a real problem for the league, right? Because the league wants to maintain control over who's going where. So yeah, this is, uh, they do move though, right? We know that under Batman, you know, the Atlanta moved to back to Winnipeg or the Jets lost the Jets, then got them back. But generally the story has been moving like from Quebec to Colorado, right? You, you got to move them from a smaller market to a bigger market. And, and that's generally, uh, that's again, goes back to the early days of the Hamilton Tigers moving essentially to New York. Uh, at least the players moved, the franchise was different. So yeah, so I, I could go on and on about this, but it's a long answer, but it is a complicated one. And I think um, I think those are the considerations that, that Gary Bettman has. Those long-term strategy, you know, this this belief that they can make it work. We'll get right back to the podcast, but first, these messages. Most people say hockey is 90% mental, but rarely do hockey players work on their mindset and mental skills. If you want to start playing with more confidence and consistency, then be sure to check out Upper Mentality for all your mental toughness needs. They are proud to train the minds of elite athletes and teams across the AHL, OHL, NCAA, and more. Check them out at uppermentality.ca to book in a no-obligation call. You can also find this in the description of the podcast. Now let's get back to the program. Yeah, and I mean, even as you mentioned, like the media market that goes down there, I don't really think, even I at first didn't really think about that, is that you have a big media market and it's smart to put a team there in terms of money and economics and all that. Um, and that that's that's way out of my realm. But uh, but when you think about it, it, it is a smart idea. And it's just something that didn't work out. But that kind of you went into it a bit there. It's Quebec, right? Quebec going to Colorado. And there's a lot of people asking, why wasn't Quebec the next team to be put back? We see the Seattle Kraken being now a top 10 team in revenue, and how well it's worked there, even in Vegas, how uh, weird it was at first to be there. And now it's just this bigger team for revenue. They're doing really well. But now people wonder, is Quebec the next team? And then you kind of get into all these rumors of Houston, Kansas City, Utah, why those might be the next teams. Maybe you can give a little bit of insight to why Quebec might not be the next place to go or could be the next place to go. Yeah, yeah it's a it's a great Great question. And yeah, let's so go back to some of the earlier themes I was saying about media markets and size of media markets. Seattle's like the 10th or 12th or something around their biggest media market in the United States. And that means, again, that there's not all there's there's TV rights, there's revenue associated with that. So that makes it immediately sort of profitable to get into that market because the networks are interested in in you being there. Quebec is the seventh largest Canadian market, right? So it doesn't even, you know, it's it's behind um all the other Canadian teams, except I would say Winnipeg. It's actually a little bit better, bigger than Winnipeg. So, uh, and Winnipeg is an example where, where sort of an exception was made, right? Where um, it's it does sort of fill out like a geographic area. And then the question that the league might ask is that by putting a team in Quebec, what advantage are we getting? What extra things are we getting from going to Quebec City that we don't already have by having a team in Montreal, for example? Um, this comes up often when people in Toronto say Toronto should have two teams. You know, New York City, the area there tries to, you know, has basically Philadelphia, New Jersey, and the and the two New York teams all within like, you know, 150 miles of each other, right? Like it's, they're really tight. And they say, you know, Markham could have a team or Hamilton could have a team. But really what they're, when they calculate this, they say, well, how much more advantage are we going to get? If we put a team in Quebec, are we going to get more, more ticket revenues? Yes, for that team. Are we going to get a better TV deal? Yeah, probably not. 
right? Because like because sort of Quebec's rolled into the Canadian deal, Quebec City is, and Quebec in general, the province. So um, has you know the government and the, the local entrepreneurs have tried to tip the balance in their favor by building essentially an NHL class arena, uh, because that of course is one of those components that the NHL will look like look for. Is if we did send you a team, where would it come for? But they'll depend on a they, they need to depend on a moment where the NHL says there's nowhere else in the states we want to go right now. Right, they're gonna have, and I don't know what the sentiment is on that. They filled out Seattle, they filled out um, Vegas, which was kind of a bold choice as well. Right, no pro sports had gone there because of the tr- the historic aversion to being associated with gambling. But it's a huge having teams now there. It's an acknowledgement that hockey, like pro sports, are an entertainment product above all. Right, and people are much more comfortable with with gambling aspects and stuff like that. So. So yeah, Quebec's going to have to wait for its moment. It, you know, Winnipeg had to wait for a moment where it was a solution to an American team problem. So yeah, could there be a Phoenix to Quebec move? Yeah, who knows? Like you know that, uh, but but it's not on the face of it. You know, just bidding outright for a franchise now is going to cost you what five hundred million? I can't remember what the price was for Seattle, or or um, it was you know, half a billion dollars. Like think about that. You know, I'd, I'd ask how many people who want a team in Quebec have that kind of cash to put that together you know so so yeah there's a couple of things working against them i'm not saying it's impossible but i think i think it's 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 uh it's less likely um than maybe some some places you mentioned like you know kansas city or houston or some other place in the, in the american south well yeah i mean like when you mentioned about how much it is to actually bid for a team i mean we look at the ottawa senators possibly going up for sale most likely going up for sale and we see ryan reynolds right wanting to be part of the team but he doesn't have enough money so you have to collaborate or you need to find somebody who really has deep pockets and as you mentioned before with the coyotes is willing to possibly have some years where they're paying in and then they're going to get that payout there's a lot that goes into it so sorry people uh if you're (laughs) if you're waiting for quebec to come back uh andrew says no he says no (laughs) i didn't say no i said i said less likely you know i'm not I'm not. Uh, I I love to see a Quebec team. I visited that arena a couple of years ago, and it's it's beautiful. I mean, we saw we saw a Powell game there, and it was you know it's it's it would be great. And you know, as a Canadian, I feel that that resonates like the Canadian League. But you know, we're part of a bigger thing. For 50 years ago, people were talking about the NHL, particularly after '67, where all the teams that got added in '67 were all American. And a lot of Canadians were like, you know, what's going on here? It's it's even less our league than it was before. And so as a result of that, they actually added Vancouver because people complained so much that Vancouver hadn't been uh, added on. But then there was talk that actually I wrote a book about a guy, um, quite a prominent business historian, not business sports historian, Bruce Kidd wrote a book basically about how we should create a Canadian only league. Right. Uh, And that's and that was a possibility. You could do that. But what would that mean? Right. That would mean we wouldn't have the caliber of players that the NHL currently have. Right. We would. We'd be sort of maybe like the KHL or or another the Swedish Hockey League where we'd have a lot of good players. It'd be great hockey, but our stars would always be sucked in to the NHL, right? So that that's been a trade off for years. Has been the you know participating in the NHL, but realizing you know American money, American capital, American consumers were going to have a lot to say about uh, but what the league looked like right and they did change the rules like early on there's a lot of change that happens away from the original canadian professional game to adapt to american audiences right they they, they change the they, they, it becomes faster you know the the whole question about fighting we could talk about you know, many people argue that the nhl still retains fighting because of this perception that it it, it it's it uh, is attractive to a less sophisticated american fan I, I don't particularly buy that myself, so I say that kind of in quotation marks. 
but that's the kind of thing that that you know you're, you've probably heard yourself is that uh the american aspect of the game has 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 changed it for canadians but the thing i would say is no pun intended if we want to be in the big league you know, this is sort of the trade-off that we have to do as a country that it isn't quite as big, doesn't quite have the same market. It, it, it kind of, it, there's a lot that goes into it. I mean, you see how much planning goes into finding a team, finding a place where it could possibly do well. It's years. Like, I mean, you see Seattle, I think was, uh, I think they did something in 2019, maybe, I think it was 2019, and then they, they get their team, right? So there's a lot of planning that goes into it, even Vegas, like it was introduced way before, and there was a lot of hype behind both of those teams, and gladly it did, it flourished into something that's great. So I mean, that's that's the positive that goes around it, right? But there's a lot of planning that goes behind it. There's a lot of things that go on behind the scenes. As I mentioned, if uh, you want Quebec to be back in the league, and you want the Nordiques back, you might have to wait a bit, um, but hopefully we see that soon. You said something interesting there, which is about the planning. You're right. It's not just about, oh, the NHL has announced it wants an extra team send your bids in the successful bids have been uh entrepreneurs uh, business people who have basically engaged with the league early on and and basically established their reputation from the outside <laughs> and sort of lobbying essentially to make sure that when that moment comes people say oh yeah we know those guys uh, you know i called my book joining the clubs which wasn't isn't a particularly sexy title but a lot one of the themes was is how these owners it was about joining a club to join the league and you know early on if you were uh, an owner that couldn't get along with other people, they kicked you out. And the genesis of the league itself is 1917, is it's called the National Hockey Association. They get mad at the Toronto owner, they boot them and reform the league as the NHL. And this is all this has been a theme throughout: is that you need to be clubbable, as you might say. It needs to be people you agree with. You, you're and and there's a lot of fights at the NHL table, and this causes a lot of conflict. But at the end of the day, and especially the modern Gary Bettman league, you need to pony up money. You need to show them you've got the wherewithal. Uh, and you also have to be the kind of person they want to do business with as a partner for the next you know few decades, right? So it's not about um, it's not just about s signing checks. Like you say, you made a great point though about about willing to sort of take losses, right? That's another thing that I is interesting about the about sports in general is that it's a sort of a prestige ownership where it's not just about making money. Th these teams are mostly profitable now, for but for many years a lot of them lost a lot of money. And it's just about someone who's rich enough to su to sustain the losses to maintain a team in a particular protect perhaps a a weak market you know just to keep the the league going and the, the league's got there's lots of stories of that I, I just want to if you get a second I want to go back to Ryan Reynolds too because Ryan Reynolds is something that people might think is is a little bit interesting because oh look here's a Hollywood celebrity who wants to participate in this of course Ryan's Canadian he you know he he grew up in Vancouver. He, he probably wants to own the Canucks, really. But that's actually been something that that we've seen early on as well. Like in the, right after the Second World War, they they was so 1945 or so. It was the first indication you had that people in LA wanted a team, and they actually trotted out like Bing Crosby and people like that as fame, basically to, to front end their 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 partnership. So that people they would be able to leverage that celebrity appeal and go, oh, Bing Crosby wants in, right? So there's there's a whole cultural credibility that goes along this with this as well uh foster hewitt whom everyone knows the, the legendary uh broadcaster he was part of the vancouver bid uh in 1967 and again it was because well foster hewitt's behind it like you know we're the team who's got the wherewithal so so i i don't imagine ryan reynolds has enough money himself um, and he's he's throwing it into you know wrexham and some of his soccer things but he almost certainly would be attractive to people who did have deeper pockets and we're able to kind of bring him on 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 side. So he's kind of making, I think, a smart play 
because he has he's leveraging his his what he does have other than money is Hollywood Q scores or whatever they call them, you know, celebrity celebrity status. So yeah, just make a make a point about that. I thought it would be interesting. No, no, no. I go ahead. I, I appreciate that. So um yeah, I mean there's there's always lots of uh you know expansion news and, and teams being sold and uh one of them's being the Ottawa Senators right now. So I mean there's there's lots of interesting stuff going on in the National Hockey League. Yeah. But a another one right now is uh Bali Sports. So the mm-hmm. Sinclair Broadcasting Group, uh they are in some debt and this could mean a lot of things for NHL teams. And if you don't know, uh, they collaborate with teams like the Minnesota wild, Arizona coyotes, uh, Detroit Red Wings, Florida Panthers, St. Louis blues, Columbus blue jackets, Anaheim ducks, LA Kings, Dallas stars, Tampa Bay, uh, lightning, Carolina hurricanes, and the Nashville predators, a mouthful, but a lot of teams that they're dealing with, could this hurt the cap? Elliot Friedman says it could, yeah. but, uh, Andrew, I'm asking you, <laughs> What do you think this could mean? Because we know that uh, broadcasting brings in a ton of dough for teams and dough means cap and cap means paying players. But right now that cap is supposed to be moving. But what could this mean for the future? Yeah, it's really it's a it's really great, great question. And I mean, yeah, as you mentioned, there's like about a dozen NHL teams who are involved in this. And if if they if they lose money, you know, that's going to affect the overall revenues. And that is almost certainly going to affect the cap. If, if I can broaden it a little bit. I mean, this is this is something that um, I talked about earlier this week when it went. I was speaking to your class, your lecture class about about how the players participate in the revenues over the years. And, you know, the number I like to point out is basically for years, the players got about 22 percent of the revenues of the league, which, you know, seemed okay to them for a while. And then as the revenues started getting boosted up through uh, particularly through TV deals, the players started asking some pretty good questions in the 50s, like how are we participating in all this extra money? The clubs are making and over you know a few decades of, of labor tussle back and forth this this century they got this deal that basically allows them to share 50 percent of the the hockey related revenues the downside is in a situation like bally that they now have to participate in the market risk right so before if uh, you know in an older system they able to say well you know my salary is x dollars I don't care if Bally has gone bankrupt and you're not getting your $15 million this year, Phoenix Coyotes, you need to pay me my salary. And so they're insulated from that. Of course, almost certainly uh, in that world, that salary would be much lower than it is today, right? So so what they've done is by by boosting up to 50%, they're now participating in that in the risk of the marketplace. But overall, I think the players have, have uh, almost certainly benefited from that. What you'd hope is that this situation gets gets resolved in a, in a way that doesn't do any kind of long term damage to to the to the league or the players or the particularly the teams and the league will be fine obviously, but there will be a, a could be a big risk to the bottom line in the recent era. But the, and like again, this is this is the risk, right? The risk of new contracts. A company comes along, offers more money for the broadcasting rights, and you go with them, and then possibly at the end of the day. They can't. They can't pay. You know, and so so this is the the risk you take by getting into business with the, with the highest bidder, and uh, and overall, I think it'll smooth out. It's not uh, it's not something that's going to have a huge impact. But uh, like I said, the, the 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 escrow or you know they hold on to that, that money. The escrow money might not come back to the players if, if this thing you know, goes south any further. It's really a predicament, and I mean when we look at the players, like. They don't want to be any part of this. They just they just got out of big battles with uh, the NHL, the NHLPA. Obviously, they've been talking about a lot of things. I mean, that's not something I want to be if I'm a player who's not being paid, you know, the best amount because that's going to affect you the most. But even just a general idea, Gary Bettman and the NHL, there's always been this big kind of uh, conversation around the Olympics. Mm. 
not letting them go, not letting them have any fun. What what can you say about that in in its in its littlest? Is he really kind of you know pegging them down the players a little bit there, or is he doing it for the best of himself, or is he doing it for them? Yeah, another another great question, which which you know the, the historian on me in me wants to like pull back a little bit to like the early days. I mean, the early days, Canada, as as some of, some of your listeners may know, uh, you know, we would send some relatively uh, low level teams, uh, you know, into international competitions like the World Championships. And or the, the Olympics, and they would basically, you know, kick butt and bring home a gold medal until the the, the Russian teams and this sorry the Soviet teams and uh, you know in the fifties and sixties started growing in strength, and then that became this this controversy over amateurism versus professionalism, where the the, the Soviet teams, the strong teams, were seen as very strong, were seen as amateurs, even though they were basically full time soldiers in many cases, and the Canadian professionals weren't basically weren't allowed to compete. So Canada didn't have a strong team. Uh, for for many years, and Canadians didn't like that, right? We didn't like lose starting to lose at hockey. So you know, famously, in, by 1998, they'd resolved this, and the NHL did agree to basically allow a team to be put together. But think about when it happens. It happens basically in January, February, dead in the middle of the NHL season, 80, 80 or 82 games, and that costs. That's there's a cost to that to the NHL, right? They're they essentially lending out their players uh, to be possibly hurt. Uh, you know, during the Olympics, possibly definitely losing two weeks of income. There's some training that goes along with that as well. And so the question a business like uh, the NHL and, and Gary Bettman as the as the commissioner is asking is, you know, is the bang worth the buck? Is the re- is there a return on the investment on investment? In earlier years, they said yes. Uh, but then I think they've also got ideas about creating their own World Series of Hockey, right? Which which kind of kind of goes back to the Canada Cup days of kind of a professional or really high level league tournament. I'm sure they every four years they look at FIFA's World Cup and say, really, we want something like that, right? That's kind of our our own thing. You know, there there's soccer at the Olympics. Can you tell me the last soccer team that won Olympic gold medal? No, because it's like you know the the big international event is now is that World Cup, right? So I think in some ways the their vision is probably let's create that as as our our, our big event. And so yeah, I don't I haven't read recently about some of the, the talk around participation in the next next Olympics, but there's a negotiation with the NHLPA, and it does resolve revolve around these the same way we talked about you know going to Quebec or or moving to another. It's like what does extra does it give the league? Like how does the league benefit and it's a business it doesn't do these things for too much for feel good it does some things for feel good but not taking two weeks off in the middle of its season i guess they've they've, they've decided that you know that's not worth it to them and like i said i wouldn't i wouldn't necessarily lay this at gary Benton's feet because i think it has been a long-term thing where you know the the nhl didn't want to give players back in the 60s to the national team you know, they were, again, afraid they'd get hurt or they wouldn't give them the best players, right? So it's always been, you know, if you want, Con Smythe, who's the legendary owner of the Toronto Maple Leafs, always had a great line in the 60s. Someone asked him, you know, will you lend players to the national team to go play the, the Soviets? And he says, if you want Canada to play the Soviets, I'll send them Maple Leafs. Right. His whole point was that, you know, I'll just send you my team. But of course, the structure of that team was set up that, you know, they weren't going to accept, you know, a competition with with the Toronto Maple Leafs representing Canada, which, you know, thinking about it would have been pretty cool. <laughs> but uh, yeah, so sorry, go on about that. But I think I said there's just some historical precedent here. But at the end for a lot of things, it's about it's about the the bottom line finance. wise. And I mean, it not it always I mean, when we when we talk about the NHL, I like to think about it as a sport that, you know, we all love and uh, we watch because we're passionate about it or you watch it just because you're you're a common fan either way you know you, you watch a game because you you like to see it uh but at the end of the day it is a uh it is a money grab at times and uh 
I think that's kind of what gets away is that Gary Bettman is that is that guy. Like he's there to kind of make things work and not necessarily make people happy. So <laughs> as, as bad as that is to say, um, people don't like him. But you know what? Sometimes he does make some decisions that are for the best. What I want to see players at the Olympics like Crosby and McDavid on the same team. Yeah, I would. But uh, even like the the world, uh, the world cup for like the NHL or like hockey in general, that's definitely an idea that's been tossed around. And then I really enjoyed it in 2016. So hopefully they can get that back. Uh, but Andrew, I do appreciate you coming on. I mean, first uh, interview of Dump and Chase, and it was a really good one. I mean, we talked about a lot of issues in the NHL and I mean, maybe we got down to a lot of things, too. Uh, hopefully some of those can be figured out. But uh, I do appreciate you coming on. Like I said, when people give me their time, I appreciate it. And uh, I try to do the same for them back. So uh, thank you for that. I, I really do appreciate coming on. Yeah, well, thanks for that. Thanks for having me, Zach. It's been really fun to talk about this. I don't all, always get the chance to, to talk about what my passion, which is the kind of the history, the history of the game. I mean, I'm a big fan as well of, of the of uh, my local team, depending on who that is, <laughs> depending how well they're doing. But uh, but yeah, it's great to great to talk to you, and 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 hopefully some of your your listeners will be a little bit more enlightened and learn a little bit about about the history of the league and how it connects to the present. Because you know, for me as a historian, it's always about about sometimes taking a deep breath and saying, yeah, we're not the first people that have experienced it this way like other people have and what direction did it go then what it, could it go that direction now and it kind of i think really heightens and enriches enriches rather our experience uh knowing you know the, the full story so to speak of uh what went on before of course of course and then and as it should i mean the past dictates the present yep. and we can change that at any time and that's what it's all about so exactly. like i said i appreciate it hopefully we can do this again and just enjoy yourself right it's the it's the yeah. hockey time or we're midway through it halfway through the season actually way more than that so things can get going um for me the Leafs are probably heading for a first round exit and the Habs are possibly heading for Connor Bedard so I mean yeah. there's there's all that there's there's lots of things going on but uh, not to get away from it uh Andrew thank you for your time uh yeah. and anytime and that was Dr. Andrew Ross. Uh, I appreciate him coming on, and I appreciate you listening. Stick it all the way through this podcast on my first interview for Dump and Chase. If you want to get in touch with me, whether that's on social media through Instagram, Twitter, or TikTok, ZS Hockey, that is Z S H O C K E Y, and you put a one at the end for Instagram. Thank you for listening again. I appreciate all of you, and I hope to see you next time on Dump and Chase.